Spring, spring has sprung. Sprung has the sprung. grass has riz. The grass has this poem. The grass has riz. My dad always used to say this. It's got charisma. Spring has sprung. The grass has riz. I wonder where them boydies is. Okay, that'll be an and interesting it, thing to Google and discover whether it's from like a nineteen thirties Hanna-Barbera cartoon Three or something. Stooges or something. Yeah. Yeah. But he he always used to crack up at the way that whoever invented this genius quote would say birdies <laughs> boydies they'd say boydies boydies that and is he, very he just like loses shit every time yeah <laughs> so he'd say it and then laugh at himself yeah he would just he was just oh, so you are your father's son okay well i think <laughs> i have evolved uh you know the family sense of humor i would I say see. i think i progressed it yeah right yeah i've pushed it into another kind of dimension yeah did you get a haircut? I'm gonna ask that no, every week. No, say every week. Yeah. Yep. No. It didn't. just you're looking. How is it keeping so short along the sides? Because I keep getting haircuts. Oh. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just not when you ask. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> when, when I'm asking you, did you get a haircut? I'm not meaning like ten minutes ago. I'm meaning in the two weeks since I saw you prior. Yeah, but I haven't. So how has it been staying short? Okay, can you hear that axle grinding, by the way? Hear. <laughs> I can hear some isn't sort it, of machinery. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. Um, I think it's because I'm going I'm going grey on my sides. And there that what? Is. Makes it look shorter? I think it gives, like, the illusion of, like, a fade. Okay. Yeah, can you see that? Yeah, right. Like, it's really coming in on, it on actually, the side. It's quite and- styly. Yeah, it kind of it, like it kind of looks good. Like I, I, it I does look good. That's why I'm... I keep asking because I'm like, oh, you're looking, you're looking sharp. But is this no, your I mean, original I... hair from when you left Australia? From birth, baby. From birth, <laughs> you've never had a haircut. Never had a haircut. This is just how I came out. <laughs> it came but out grey. But like where my grey hairs are coming in, I think it's it, you know, if you have to go grey, you want to go grey on on where I've gone grey. I agree with that. Yeah. So you have not had a haircut since you've left Australia? No, no, no. I've had like three. <laughs> okay. So it just, even though I've asked like every week, there it is... Just, I, it just feels like whenever you've asked, it doesn't it hasn't felt recent. Okay. How long <laughs> do you leave between a cut? Uh, I've had... Okay, so when did I get one? I got one in... Mid-July, okay. and I got one, you know, like maybe a month ago. So that's the start. Is that not the same thing? You had one in mid-July. It is the 1st of September. So you had mm. one mid-July, and then you had one the 1st of August. Mm, that doesn't seem right. No, it doesn't seem right. Is it possible that you well, don't, know don't know when you've had haircuts? And that's, that's where possible. some of these confusions come from. Yeah, that's very possible. Like... You know, it's a tricky, tricky business getting a haircut overseas, and I've managed to get two pretty good ones because you, you, like it's. We've discussed this before. It's already tough enough trying to communicate with your hairdresser in English. You know, wherever you know at home. Yeah, yeah. You know, you speak a different language. Yeah. Now we're speaking an actual, an actual different language and trying to communicate, and somehow I've managed to pull off two very just run of the mill yeah. haircuts. Okay. Is that annoying, that the Excel grounder? I mean, I can hear it. I can hear yeah, it. Yeah, me I'm gonna, too. I'm going to have to 
to do some post-processing on this track, but what's new? It's funny because um, there was no actual grinding <laughs> <laughs> at all right up until we hit record. Okay. So, well, that's the deep thought promise. Some form of audio do we, discomfort. Do we, have any, um, do we have any rivals, any like competitors? Because yeah, we they do. Might be trying to sabotage. So there's this podcast called Strike Force 5 that just came out. It's Stephen Colbert, oh, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Colbert. Did mm. I say that already? Uh, <laughs> what Doesn't are the matter. other ones? Seth Meyers and John Oliver. Um, and they've just launched a strike podcast raising money for their crews uh, who are all not working because the writers and actors are on strike. Um, and I think they're probably our closest competitor. Um, obviously, they don't have the nine plus years of experience that we do. And you can tell mm-hmm. listening to their episode. A lot of crosstalk. Yep. But um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I say good luck to them. Well, they've resulted to uh, to dirty tactics early, Nick. Following me to Bangkok and, you know, s- setting up some heavy machinery. Little protein bar there, baby. A little much on the pod. I thought you were going to okay. talk for longer. No. Um, that uh, Strike Force podcast, I'm very interested in it, but I think, yeah, like you alluded to, it's like I can't imagine them all just, you know, how are they going to manage... By the way, five people on a podcast, that is way too many people. <laughs> um, but also, like, t- guys that talk for a living, uh, I mean, it just seems like a... How are they going to manage that? They uh, The the weirdest thing to me is, like, I, I listen to Conan's pod all the time. Really nice production value, three people and a guest, often um, the way it goes. But you tend to only focus on Conan and the interviewer and then Sona and... Um, Gawley pop in every now and then and then fade back mm. when they're not, you know, got anything to say. But, you know, proper recording studio, nice audio quality, that kind of thing. This is literally a recorded Zoom call, <laughs> and you can tell. And I'm surprised that that their foray with these big names, I just, like, sat in front of a computer using the computer mic. You know, it's a bit It's surprising to me. Is it good? I enjoyed it. Like, Jimmy Kimmel says that he was going to quit. Like, there was news broken. He oh, was, wow. He was going to quit, and then the strike started, and he decided he couldn't quit when he was on strike. So, but yeah, he was going to retire. What? Why yeah. is Kimmel quitting? He's the, well, he's he's the youngest like 20 one. years. Yeah, true. What's he going to do, though? Like, he'll just go down the Letterman route, and, you know, they, these guys can't keep out of the spotlight, I think. Well, like, John Stewart, said. you yeah. know, they they go away, and then they're like, wait why isn't anyone listening to me? Yeah. I mean, he said the same thing, that when he realised that he was on break with, like, nothing to do, he started to think, oh, maybe maybe it wasn't the time. <laughs> so yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you today, Michael? I'm in Bangkok. Bangkok. Um, Bangkok. Yeah, in Thailand, and got two more days here before we go to Cambodia. Mm. Bangkok's ex- cool, man. Yeah, how's your experience been of different Thai cities? Yeah, uh, well, we've only been to two. I've been, I went uh, with Eleanor like uh, 13 or 14 years ago. We went to Phuket, and I gotta say, like, a, it really kind of put me off Thailand. Like, mm. I, it was kind of seedy and, you know, partying and gross. And yeah, uh, it's like was, the I was Australian like, tourist destination, isn't it? Totally. And I, I just had it in my head. That was like Thailand, nah. And I would say to people with authority, oh, "Don't go to Thailand. It's, it's honestly, it's rubbish." You know, I'd, 
be one of those guys. Yeah. Just so funny that you can go to a, a place, as, you know, as big as Thailand is, go to one little part yeah. and then have your mind made up about it. Anyway, um, Bangkok's cool. Bangkok's cool. We're like we we uh, we're in like the heart of the city here, kind of in the financial district. It's it's super modern. It's ultra modern in parts. It's ultra not modern in other parts. Um, but it's like this really cool, like kind of vibrant mix of like you know street food and then like big digital neon lights everywhere and the mm. the, the like there's like a young cool scene here like the people like the young people dress like really interesting it's also very um lgbt friendly like a lot of openly gay men and women um you know just out in the street which is not something that you um see everywhere in south asia we've seen in yeah exactly um and obviously they've got like the ladyboy kind of culture but like i i i haven't gone too far into it but you know, I probably should because it is does seem really interesting that there is like a, you know, uh, even not being a part of the culture and just being here in Bangkok for seven days, we've noticed, you know, um, there are you know, open, like there's quite a lot of trans people yeah. around. Like you go to the Seven <clears> Eleven and there'll be two, two cashiers are trans. You know, it's like it's just there, yeah. so it's part of the culture. So I'm I'm interested to to learn about like how how they've kind of developed that culture in a place like this, which, you know, is, uh, um, uh, what is it? It's the, they have the kingdom. Like you, you, they kind yeah. of worship the king. Yeah. Um, it's a monarchy. I don't know. It's like this whole. It's like a weird relig- religious monarchy kind of thing, right? Yeah. Now we went, we went to the movies last night and um, just be- the, the, the ad just before the movie was like, you know, uh, give praise to the king and it was just like this choir and it went on for like two minutes and it wow. was just like f- shots just photos of him looking you know like someone cool got out and, powerpoint and and put together a little homage yeah it was like a shitty powerpoint presentation which was funny having that sandwiched in between like all these like high octane movie trailers and then it's just like oh long live the king well what did you and, see did it get you in the mood or did it put you back Oh, I mean, it's just a, it's a funny experience. We went to see Talk To Me. I don't know. I've got thoughts about this movie, Talk To Me. No. no, Not heard of it? No, not heard of it. Who's, which one's it's that? An, it's an Adelaide film. Oh, really? Funnily enough. Yeah. It's a, it's A24 picked it up. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know like how much I should go on on this. I'll just ch- chat to you about it and you can cut it out or whatever. But <clears throat> um, it's gone like kind of, you know, it's, it's become hugely popular it's like a24's biggest opening movie ever mm. and these ra- these these brothers from adelaide um put it out and they they previously called the racker racker brothers uh, and they had they've made a bit of a name for themselves on youtube doing kind of stunt videos right. kind of like j- in the vein of jackass or whatever and then they've just gone and made a movie and it's a killer movie. It's like, it's a very, very good movie, like for a horror movie. I don't really like horror movies and I don't really like Australian movies and I love this one. Um, and yeah, it's just fantastically well done. Great concept. Um, and it's just going huge in Asia as well because, you know, Asia, Asia has like a lot of, uh, I think with the, 
religion and all of that cultural stuff demons and stuff really speak to them it really they really the, those kind of movies really spook have a sort of asian people resonance. out yeah yeah so that like it's, it's gone gangbusters and it's one of the few movies here you know that um we can see basically anywhere mm. um so we went and saw it last night it's a great film but um yeah well, you, I'm um, I'm slightly it. overdue because I've only in the space since we last potted, finally ticked off the Heimer in uh, Barbenheimer. Um, yes. So we could be the slowest, <laughs> slowest people in the world to talk about Barbenheimer. <laughs> if you had any <laughs> thoughts that you wanted to to throw out there, or I'm perfectly happy to just leave it. Um, I li- I really liked both of them. I thought Oppenheimer had. There were like certain things that I, I didn't particularly love, but I think all in all, it was a, it was a great telling of like pretty, um, a very interesting subject matter. And from all accounts, I've listened to a few podcasts on it since that um, they've he's he's been really historically mostly accurate, you know, in terms of uh, people's experiences of, you know, the Trinity test and and not so much Hiroshima. Right. Um, because we don't get that perspective. Yeah. Um, I've seen some of that, that some of that backlash or whatever. I don't necessarily think it's, um, you know, the film's I, not I, about You know, that. I think that there is a little bit of an overuse of the word backlash these days, where I think it's become the term that people are using when they just mean discussion. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like anyone talking about the flaws or strengths of a movie... 20 years ago, that was just film criticism, right? Like that was just the, the the fandom circle talking about what works and doesn't works. And I think for these kind of things where you're talking about, oh, he made a conscious choice not to really delve into the visual, you know, sight of whatever happened when they dropped the bombs, right? I think that's a filmmaking choice. But I don't think talking yep. about the strengths and weaknesses of that should be framed as backlash when it's just like discussing art right like that's the whole point of making art is to have a conversation totally i and i definitely agree with that i think the difference here is that you do get kind of clickbaity articles that will say you know uh you know x community wants christopher nolan to stop making movies because blah so it's kind of it's kind of uh, presented as backlash sure, i think that's fair but i i yeah I, that wasn't me picking um on your usage of the phrase but i it just rankled me a little no, that's bit. That's a fair point. Um, I really liked Oppenheimer. Uh, one of the things that immediately stuck out within sort of the first 10 minutes, Ludwig, Ludwig Goransson's, you know, on a hot streak. Like, he's score. incredible. Wild that, um, like, didn't he? He did, like, the longest yard or something. He did, like, Adam's, Kevin, uh, he did, like, Kevin Jane's scores. I mean, all of these composers start doing... Um, uh, like innocuous TV show stuff, right? But yeah. didn't he do fucking um, the music for Community? Oh, yeah, it was Ludwig Göransson. That's what I was thinking. It was. It's actually oh, wow. Ludwig. So the guy who did the music for Community is the guy that scored the um, the Oppenheimer soundtrack. And ten That's minutes amazing. in, when there's this like visual montage of like Oppenheimer dreaming about like vibrating strings and like atoms and space and the cinema's filling up with sound. And I saw it in this like huge 
extreme screen experience yep. and it was overwhelming. I was like, uh, you know, that feeling you get when like the music is like resonating with you and like moving you and like the hairs on your it, arms are standing up and I'm like, oh yeah, fuck, I'm, I'm it's, ready. It's, it's vibrating your atoms. It's like, it's like, when- it's physically resonating and resonating with you, you know, like it's, um, it's crazy. Um, so I think he deserves special mention cause that was, that was amazing. But it, it felt to me a little bit like Nolan had reached a certain, like after the past decade where he's done these movies, which have been formally experimental things like Dunkirk with the shifting timelines and Tenet, which I thought was pretty crap. And, uh, even as far back as like interstellar and that sort of thing, when he was pushing out into this sort of sciencey sci-fi field, um, there were criticisms about his use of sound and like, I can't hear what they're saying. Like the mix would be weird. We can't hear dialogue. And, and it feels like this one is the sort of culmination of that push where I think those choices really worked consistently all the way through. So the way that they use sound and noise, you could hear the dialogue all the time, which was a blessing. But then when it comes to things like the Trinity test and you're expecting noise and then it goes to silence and and those kind of inventions, I, I thought that he'd really sort of, reached this time he'd reached what he'd been striving for if you know what i mean right yeah 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 it was um yeah that that particular scene was incredible with the with with the shockwave coming after yeah um yeah but it's it's a solid film i I don't i don't know i can't really imagine re-watching it anytime soon but how did you feel about the final hour because I, i think that one's a little bit um hit or miss for some people like after the test you get another like 50 minutes of depositions and and interviews and that kind of thing well yeah i mean um that was uh, that was something i've discussed with a few people since like we kind of reach the the what we think is the crescendo and the denouement and then and then it's like an hour of like litigation about whether he can get a security clearance like who gives a fuck i don't care if he's got his security clearance like well it doesn't it doesn't feel like it matches the weight of the previous, you know, uh, hour and a half or whatever, it they seem like it seems like a bit of a, a, mitch, a mismatch. I think the most interesting part of it is, you know, his his uh, moral and ethical wrestling with what he'd done. Um, and I think I I personally think they should have left it on that. Like, I yeah, the security clearance I didn't give a shit about. For me, I, I, it was surprising, but I did by the end of that sequence understand the choice and and rather appreciated it i liked seeing Mm. i think robert downey jr does a a great job in that film and i liked seeing the depiction of how society venerated him and then um disliked him um you know uh, and and the framing of it around um einstein and this conversation uh, which must be invented i'm sure they don't have an actual um, documentation of, of what was said but the idea about like i've already unleashed this you know death onto the world i think thematically ties that last hour in really well i i, I sort of it was surprising but by the end of it i i didn't didn't regret that time i'd spent there yeah i, I didn't hate it 
I just found it, it was like a little bit like it was, it became a bit like a superhero movie at the end because, you know, Robert Downey Jr. essentially takes up his mask and he's just like, I'm the bad guy. It's like, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, uh, you know, fine. But like, it, it was, it was, I didn't hate it. I, yeah. I just, just found it interesting, but yeah, it's a good movie. And Barbie? Barbie, I liked. Oh, can I just yeah. say one more thing about Oppenheimer? And just because it's it's more fresh, the fe- fucking female characters in every Christopher Nolan movie are so weird or so like flimsy, and that film has two of the weirdest sex scenes I've seen. <laughs> the fucking well, I wouldn't know because they were cut out of my version. <laughs> oh, true. So where was this like CGI dress that you were talking about? Where did they? So I think. When uh when Pew when Florence Pugh is on the uh on the chair, they're both sitting naked, like in the and... investigation room, uh, yeah, interrogation yeah, room, so. like in the the board, uh, all yeah. asking questions. Right. <laughs> yeah, that that was not in my version. Um, you the... see some titties. <laughs> I don't think in that moment actually, but the um the Good first answer. scene, which may well have been cut out for you, uh, that. Oppenheimer and Florence Pugh's character are hooking up. And then halfway through, she gets up and goes and gets a book off the shelf, which is in Sanskrit, and then comes back and asks him to read it while he's, like, thrusting into her. And then he, she points to a phrase on the page and says, what does this say? And he looks at it and he's like, oh, I'm not very good at Sanskrit. He says, well, what does it say? And he says, I am become death. <laughs> The most famous Oppenheimer quote is presented as just like a random thing she points to on the book (laughs) while they're fucking. I am become death destroyer of worlds. It is the strangest, the strangest fucking thing I've I've ever seen. So you had none of that scene whatsoever? We didn't get the I am become death quote in the movie, which I thought was odd. Yeah, yeah. It's because (laughs) they say it during sex. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I don't know about you, Michael, but um, I don't tend to get up halfway through and go grab a book <laughs> to bring back. Yeah. It depends. Depends, it depends. on what's happening. Yeah. yeah. This is the longest intro. Welcome to maybe Deep Four. Okay, there it is. And thank you for lasting that time uh, in the intro. But we had some stuff to talk about and, you know... That's just how it is this week. This is a podcast in which we talk about the important things in the world and the unimportant ones. Sitting through the internet with me this week, my friend Michael. Hi, Michael. Hi, Nick. Thank you for saying so. I am Nick. So you're going to do the outro now? And if you've enjoyed this sort of thing. (laughs) So um, last episode might be our best ever, Nick, I think. Oh. Just based on overwhelming response, oh, overwhelming nice. response. Thank you to everyone that um, messaged me personally. It was I don't post about this podcast on social media, but I, you know I listened back to it. Yeah, and um, I was like, this, this, you know, this is good. I think it's good. <laughs> Every now and then we do a good job, and Every that's what makes it worthwhile. We aim for one I year. Like, I genuinely enjoyed it, and I got uh, yeah a bunch of people reached out and said that they enjoyed it. I got some people said they cried. Oh, well, that's yeah. an exciting outcome. We should try well, and that's... make people cry every week. 
uh, I only want to make people cry from now on. <laughs> yeah, this has unlocked something inside you. Um, and not only did people really respond to the, um, you know, the our, our conversation about death and our perspective on how that kind of interacts and connects with life, but solidifying my title as voice of the people. Yeah, I got some messages saying that you know from men saying that you know they've been thinking about trimming their underarm hair and uh, hearing the podcast gave them the courage to make the leap. So wow. I, I want to say you're welcome. <laughs> we're really ticking off all the important boxes in terms of cultural impact, you know, consideration of one's mortality and embracing the underarm hair trimming. Um, that That's two very important things that we've achieved. I think, it, uh, you know, it, um, it represents our podcast yeah. pretty well, those two things. Yeah, and that's why Manscaped missed out when they refused to give us a sponsorship. Fuck you, Manscaped. I refuse to say that just so that I have some leverage in the future should they come crawling back. I can say, sorry, that's Love Michael. You. That's just, you know, voice of the people talking. But me personally, I'm I'm happy to continue these conversations. Uh, you said you got some nugs for me, baby. I got a, I got a big nug for you as well. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's not this week. This is not the one. We've already done our good one this year. That's okay. I have a few little uh, little bits and pieces. Um, I got a couple of myths. Just just throwing them out there, just for a bit of later. I don't know if you you said you got myths for for years, but for that's that's still a double myth. I don't give a fuck, dude. You want a myth now? No, I don't want a myth now. We've talked. No, I mean like yeah. I mean like we did we did one last week. I get you. You know, I I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'll myth two weeks in a row. Um, I'm fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me. Let me look into a uh, airline safety thing because it feels a little bit relevant with what uh, your life is at the moment. Yes. So this was an article in the New York Times. I'll put the link in the chapter title for all of you listening on podcast podcast players at home. Uh, The title is Airline Close Calls Happen Far More Often Than Previously Known. Awesome. This is a, um, a nice little article as well because it has animated uh, GIFs demonstrating the closeness of intersecting airlines and how they've like gone to land on the same runway and then had to pull out so they didn't collide and that sort of thing. So do have a look can at you, that. Can, can you send that me the thing? Yeah. I like, I like it when I have pictures, Nick, yeah, when, I'm, I'm when you're telling stories. On the afternoon of July 2nd, a Southwest Airlines pilot had to abort a landing at Louis Armstrong New Orleans International Airport. A Delta Airlines 737 was preparing to take off on the same runway. The sudden maneuver avoided a possible collision by seconds. Nine days later in San Francisco, an American Airlines jet was accelerating down a runway at more than 160 miles per hour when it narrowly missed a Frontier Airlines plane whose nose had almost jutted into its path. Moments later, the same thing happened as a German airliner was taking off. In both cases, the planes came so close to hitting the Frontier aircraft that the FAA, in internal records reviewed by the New York Times, described the encounters as skin to skin. And two two and a half weeks after that, an American flight to Dallas was traveling at more than 500 miles an hour when a collision warning, warning blared in the cockpit. An air traffic controller had mistakenly directed a United Airlines plane to fly dangerously close. The American pilot had to abruptly yank the Airbus A321 up 700 feet. 
The incidents, highlighted in preliminary FAA safety reports but not publicly disclosed, were among a flurry of at least 46 close calls involving commercial airlines last month alone. They're part of an alarming Mm. pattern of safety lapses and near misses in the skies and on the runways of the United States, an investigation has found. While there have been no major US plane crashes in more than a decade, potentially dangerous incidents are occurring far more frequently than almost anyone realizes, a sign of what many insiders describe as a safety net under mounting stress. So this is a a decently long article. It goes into a few um, specific examples here about the close calls between planes, some of them literally you know, as close as within a third of a mile horizontally and 300 feet vertically from each other. Like we're really talking fucking right beside each other. And basically uh, the strain on the system in terms of air traffic controllers and the kind of uh, need there are for more staff in this field, more safety um, precautions taken in terms of rostering and things to enable Mm. alertness and, and that kind of, um, quality control and safety precautions in the um, airline system. But it's an incredibly sort of <laughs> worrying set of stats here, like almost 50 a month where um, planes are just like nearly nipping each other on, one, on the runway or being pointed at each other in midair. And it's just complete fluke that there haven't been more accidents and collisions. Yeah, fuck. It's kind of weird when you're in a plane that, you know, when you're in a car, you can at least see, you know, out the front. Yeah, and in a plane, you kind of, that's shut off. Like, I think yeah. it's, it's an you're interesting, blind. like, you've got you've got blinkers on. Yeah. You know, like a horse. Well, I guess horses have blinkers on the side, but it's a similar concept. Like, it's, you just, you just have to put complete faith in, in the pilot. And, yeah. You know, I guess air travel's safer than getting in a car. Yeah, but, um, it is. It is. It is interesting that you just you don't get to know no. what's going on, and and if there's like a if there's panic in the cockpit, you know, unless it's absolutely necessary, you won't get to know about it. No. Yeah, and and you might feel like a like a what do you call it when you hit a pack a patch of air and like you drop you know, suddenly and everyone's seats, you know, like you fall into the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the seats, that kind of thing. So you might feel the after effect of some sort of evasive action, but they're not, you're not going to hear them go, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> unless, they, oh, unless they're yelling out, brace position. I, I have a bit of a thing for, uh, lately I've been, um, I've been watching these air, like uh, airplane disaster kind of YouTube expose, whatever thing. What do you mean lately? You've watched these for fucking years. Well, they've really ramped up, sure. you see, because um, L- Lauren's been obsessed with, uh, uh, you know, those interrogation videos. Uh, you probably see them pop up on Facebook, but they exist on YouTube. And it's basically this like kind of robotic voice, you know, analyzing uh two hour long interrogation video by the police. And then, so I've, I don't know, I've just kind of picked something up like, oh, that's nice to have it on the background. So my thing has been aviation disasters. (laughs) Yeah, Um, an existing area of interest. And uh, just hearing some of the, uh, like the black, the actual black box recordings from pilots uh, who know that the plane is about to crash. It is like, it's horrifying. They don't, the, the the ones that I've seen, I'm sure there are ones where they're screaming, going, oh my God. Um, but the ones that I've seen, that it's just like 
accept it's it's not acceptance but it's just like this is my impression of a of a pilot going down <laughs> this oh hasn't God. i have to point out to the listener this has not been impression successful when he's week. done this at the archive <laughs> he's not getting the laughs <laughs> but, okay, but this is not impression we'll, we'll, of the week yeah but it, it's it's more along the the, uh, the the tone of it is more like oh my god this can't be real this is really happening we're going to crash like it's more like uh real it's more uh what's the word I don't know. They're, they're just like it's so matter of fact, yeah. but also the, it's the, it's actual panic sinking in, yeah. and it's kind of what you would say. It's not screaming. I don't know why I said that. No, I mean it's no. interesting in terms of like you have to imagine these people are trained repeatedly to have like calm under pressure. Like that's one of the things you're tested on when you're getting a pilot's license, right? Like your ability. If you're going to be put in commercial liners with hundreds of people's lives resting on your shoulders you can't be someone that freaks out right so in yeah. that in an instance where it's like well this is i know i know my shit and we're not getting out of this what's your reaction going to be it's not going to be freak out right it's going to be well you know but can you can you imagine that because most of us not to dive you know too much further into it uh, the last episode that we did but like the moments like most most of us will die not knowing that we are dying i guess or maybe we'll be like on a deathbed and we won't necessarily know when the precise moment of death is coming yeah and i guess you won't be able to like count down from 10 yeah i mean that that's like a whole other level of like oh this is going into the ocean in eight seconds and my life is ending then yeah and just being completely cognizant during that that time yeah it's a bit surreal to be honest and it's a similar thing that they're expecting from air traffic controllers right you need to have you cannot ever be like under pressure um and snapping because your job is one of precision and accuracy and incredible safety um so that's why so one of the stats here in this article is only three of 313 air traffic facilities in the US had enough controllers to meet the targets set by the FAA and the union representing the workers. Three Mm. out of 313, that's less than 1%. Uh, Many controllers are required to work six day weeks and a schedule so fatiguing that multiple federal agencies have warned it will impede controllers' abilities to do their jobs properly. So is it it lack of funding or is it like uh, the... the, um... It's it's like the the known stresses of the job is kind of off putting to people, so they're not really getting you know the recruitment numbers that they need. Because don't don't air traffic controllers have one of the highest rates of suicide of any profession? I don't know. I feel like those kind of claims go floating around. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if it was that that it was referred to, um, but there are. So people are basically blaming the FAA, the Federal Aviation Authority about the lack of action and and the staffing shortage um controllers are making mistakes left and right fatigue is extreme the report continues the margin for safety is eroded tenfold morale is rock bottom quote i catch myself taking risks and shortcuts i normally would never take the controller concluded it's only a matter of time before something catastrophic happens um Mm. it feels like a lot of uh in in terms of like aviation precautions a lot of the focus since 9-11 has been on security yeah 
And I wonder if that's kind of develop, uh, um, diverted resources away from, you know, technical or pilot training or whatever. Yeah, it's a very interesting point. I don't have an answer to, to that. But I have to imagine there's a funding question there because if these people were being paid, I, I don't know, mid six figures or something like that, like you wouldn't have a shortage of people, right? You would find workers who could choose this job because they're temperamentally suited to it. And it's also a reasonable work life with like decent hours and that kind of thing. But by the sounds of it, that's just absent because people are having to work mm. a sixth day a week um, just to cover gaps. Otherwise things don't happen and planes don't take off and then everyone gets angry at the airports and all that and kind of thing. Um, so there's this thing that they call the Rattler, um, which was a, uh, so I'll, I'll read this part here. The FAA has required many controllers to work six days a week. Halfway through 2023, some controllers had already uh, clocked more than 400 hours of overtime, according to schedules reviewed by the Times. On top of that, many controllers work a schedule where the starting time for their shifts rotates over the course of a week. On the first day, a controller might work an afternoon shift. From there, the shifts start progressively moving earlier, culminating with a 24-hour period in which the controller works both an early morning shift and as few as eight hours later, overnight duty. Many Jeez. controllers call this schedule the Rattler because like the snake, it has a nasty bite. So oh. some of these people get literally eight hours off between a 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. shift and then they're expected back at work for a 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. shift. So working 16 out of a 24-hour period. Um, oh, that's hard to do in hospitality, let alone... <laughs> yeah, let alone where it's absolute traffic. precision necessary. Wow. Um, many controllers say that coupled with mandatory overtime, it has been pushing them to physical and psychological brink. Some say they hadn't sought medical or mental health care because they were afraid of jeopardizing the medical clearances they need to remain on the jobs, instead self-medicating with banned sleeping pills and alcohol. The result, nice. they said in interviews and internal safety complaints, was potentially hazardous mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're, they're also, I'm just thinking now, like, you know, when you get into a plane, like the general public is just, maybe they're just thinking about the the, the pilot, you know, they'll, they'll have a look at the pilot if they can see in as you're boarding the plane. No one's really thinking about, like, the, the, the guys in the towers that are actually controlling everything or at least directing. Um and so they're kind of out of sight, out of mind, but like they're kind of the guys that you really don't want to be drinking alcohol on uh, popping a few zannies just before, <laughs> um, just before a 16 hour shift. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a pretty worrying thing. Like a lot of these, um, incidents that they're talking about, some of them are pilot error and some of them are air traffic controller error. And a lot of them are both. Like, I, I have to imagine that the pilot schedules are often pretty horrific as well, particularly if you're doing, like, international long-haul stuff where you might be flying a plane for 16 hours. Uh, you have to imagine there's some degree of fatigue that sets in. But I think the pilots, you know, with the co-pilots, if they're doing a long-haul flight, they'll go and sleep. Then they'll take shifts in the cabins. Yeah. Have you experienced some like uh, a terrible plane ride, like bad turbulence or, or anything like that? And do you get f afraid of flying? 
No, I actually don't get afraid of flying. Um, I have had some flights with bad turbulence, but none that I could really point to because it's like scarred me years later. It's just like I can remember moments where it's, it's actually mostly from surrounding people. Like I, I will notice it because right. sometimes you sat next to a stranger and the stranger goes like for the, the armrest grab, right? When like when you're lurching around in midair and I'm just sort of like, eh. Mm. You know, it's just a roller coaster. Whatever. And then you grab their hand from the yeah. from the armrest and you and put it on your fucking, inner thigh. <laughs> no, I was going to say this is my fucking armrest. You don't get to use this one in any <laughs> circumstances. And then it becomes a curb your enthusiasm. <laughs> it does. Um, but like I've I've flown, I've been lucky enough to fly all around the world like quite a lot, and so I, I have a fairly calm demeanor about it. Like it's not really novel to me, and so mm. like I've had turbulence before, and it doesn't really bother me. We have, I do remember one flight where it was so windy landing that when we came down to the runway, we touched down and then came back up again in the air and then oh, touched down again. I wondered about those. Not not like the full, okay, let's go off and re like do yeah, another yeah, yeah. lap and try again, but like a, a down and then a bounce and then another down and then it oh, stuck right, on the right, second right. one. Do you know what I mean? Like it was like, we didn't quite, yeah. didn't quite get level on the ground. And when we got yeah, to wow. the end of that um, runway and it slowed down properly, um, everyone started clapping because <laughs> we'd successfully bounced and survived. Um, mm. Honestly, the worst um, airplane experience I ever had was not in the air. It was trying to leave Japan and there was a snowstorm and we sat on the airplane for six and a half hours on the tarmac, constantly being told that we're going to take off. We're almost ready to take off. We're going to wait. We're going to de-ice the plane. Then it re-iced again. Then we got another chance to leave. And then we de-iced the plane. And then by that time, we hit the curfew of like 1am when you couldn't leave Narita uh, Airport. And so then finally, after six and a half hours on the tarmac, we disembarked and went back into the uh, airport, grabbed our luggage, and then slept on the floor in (laughs) the Narita Airport. Oh no! It was kind that, of a agree, like, kind of an adventure, but yeah, sure. And I'm sure the the Japanese staff would have been like pretty accommodating. Like, did they give you pillows and stuff mm. when you're sleeping on the floor? So we actually we ended up in the quant because it was a Qantas flight. We ended up sleeping in the Qantas club on the floor. Like everyone from that plane, regardless if you're a Qantas member, was put oh. in the Qantas club to sleep there overnight. And then in the morning, okay. they kicked everyone out. But they didn't give us like, well, maybe they did give us the pillows from inside the plane. But it's not like it was built up with any beds. So everyone was just grabbing random chairs and, and making like a fucking blanket fort mm. and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But that day, that following day when we'd been kicked out of the club and there was no staff, like the airport was effectively snowed in. So you couldn't leave the airport. You couldn't get trains back into town or anything like that. And they couldn't bring supplies in. So it was a little bit like zombie apocalypse where all the shelves in the supermarkets and stuff were starting to go a bit empty because they didn't have any supplies to put back on the the shelf. Um, And then we were there inside that airport for, I think, like 28 hours or something by the end of it because it had to wait to the same time the next day to try again to fly. And, of course, it was all the same passengers and all the same crew. So when we finally took off, 
and there was all the same like um, flight attendants and everything. When we finally got into the air, again, everyone cheered and clapped because we'd done it. We'd fucking left finally. It's that's like my nightmare of just like a sleepover with a bunch of strangers. <laughs> also, I can imagine like when you get back on the plane, it's kind of that like that like awkward moment maybe of like when you've when you've had a drunken night out and you've slept with someone and then you kind of see them in the next day and you're like oh hey it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like you've got this awkward kind of familiarity with them but you don't want to get to know them. like there was an intimacy but like i didn't expect to see you again <laughs> yeah which is unfortunate because that had happened with all of the flight attendants so yeah it, yeah they would have been yeah yeah some strange looks there's a part of me, I've caught a lot of flights, especially in the last, you know, three months. And we've, we haven't had bad turbulence by any stretch, but we have experienced, you know, a mild amount of, of turbulence on certain flights. And like, there is a part of me, and I don't know what this says, and it's about myself, and it can't be good, but like, there is a part of me that when there is like a little bit of turbulence, I want like a bit more. Like, I want the thrill <laughs> of like, I want it to really drop and I want to hear people go, ah! you know, like knowing, <laughs> I knowing think it might be safe. informed yeah. because I've seen the, you know, I've seen the YouTube videos, Nick, I've, yeah. you know, I know that turbulence, you know, you can't get a plane to fall out of the sky through turbulence. Yeah. It's going to happen in the first 20 minutes of the last 20 minutes of a flight. Yeah. So I know this. So, you know, when there is a bit of turbulence, it's like, oh, it's a bit of excitement. You know, your heart does race a little. You see other people start to get scared and you can be like, ah. Don't worry about it. It's just a bit of fun. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like an air roller coaster, right? Like some people would totally. never go on a roller coaster at Universal Studios or whatever. Um, and this yeah. is like forcing all the, you know, mums and dads who didn't want to go on the ride to go on the fucking ride with you. Yeah. All the scaredy cats. All the scaredy cats getting the, getting the taste of it. Yeah. Uh, have you been flying real, like, cheapo airlines on these flights, or are you sticking with sort of main brands? No, no, no. Um, just, like, whatever's whatever's the cheapest. Um, we've got a flight coming up on um, Cambodia Airlines, which, you know, it's... it's here's, a little, here's a little tip. Here's a little life travel tip. Okay. If you book a cheap airline, uh-huh. just just own it. And don't then, after you bought the ticket, go and look up reviews <laughs> because, you know, you're just not going to like what you find. Like, you, you, it's like going to McDonald's. Like, okay, it's going to be shit. There's a certain level of acceptance that it's going to be terrible. Just don't look up, you know, you don't look up the reviews. You know exactly what a, you're getting. A McDonald's. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Cambodia Airlines, we looked that up and it's just like, it's just absolute dog shit, you know. Uh, and you know the staff are rude. You know they kicked me off for the X re- whatever reason. Yeah. Um. You know we heard a weird rattling in the sky. Um. <laughs> you know the the air traffic controllers are drunk. Um. All this kind of stuff. But I don't know. Like I've I've flown um the worst the worst airline I've flown has been Kyrgyzstan Air, <laughs> which does not. It doesn't sound good, and it wasn't good. But yeah. um. You know, it was it was uh, it was an experience. I'm it was just like, picturing you know, like a bus, those... like it doesn't have seats. You're just like standing up, holding against like a pole. Dude, I was I was literally just going to say that it was like it was like traveling on a bus. Uh, it was like dirty, like the seats were ripped, and I was like, how does these how do these planes even exist? Like yeah. I, I'm 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 kind of baffled. 
but you know i was traveling with dan and we were drunk out of our mind every second of that trip so it didn't matter um but like everyone's you know everyone just claps even though it was like a a perfectly safe flight they're just like well we didn't die and we could (laughs) have Yeah, it is God. those. It's, it is those airlines that you do hear about in the news. It's like, yeah. Actually, I was going to say Ethiopian Air, but I think that's got a good reputation. But yeah. it's like those kind of Nepalese Air. Yeah, they're the ones that you're like, you hear it on the news that a, a Nepalese airline Boeing seven three seven crashed. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, well, it's Nepalese Air. You know, like you kind of you can write it off until um, you are on the flight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is an interesting one-two punch of episodes because last week we got a lot of really poetic, beautiful, like soul-searching moments on mortality. Like moments I told you while editing that I almost clipped out, you know, just to have prepared for a, a eulogy one day. And then this episode, you've got your real matter-of-fact approach to flying on Kurdistan Air. And uh, I feel like these two might come in handy back to back. Wow. You're going to regret that. <laughs> You are going to regret that. If I die, if I die on Cambodian Airlines, uh-huh. yeah, you, you have my permission to clip it and make yourself look like an absolute dick, Nick. <laughs> okay. Oh, what, do I, I have be- your permission to both be sad, but also just marvel yep. at the sort of coincidence of having actively discussed airline disasters the week before your death? You know what? I actually did have this thought about the last episode that it would like, you know, if I have to die, if I did die, you know, and there's like this, there's things that can, I'm, I'm living in a country where there are, there are cobras, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like it, it would be pretty interesting for that. Like it would be a cool kind of, like, I assume there's going to be a documentary made about me when I of course, do die. Yeah. It would be pretty good, um, it's good you know, material. content. Yeah. yeah, if you just have like an hour of me just, you know, talking about life and death. Like that's a good time to die. Yeah. But, I mean, there'll be other episodes, you know. Yeah. So we'll catch that wave, I think. Okay, good. Uh, we'll just, you know, it's just a numbers thing. <laughs> if we keep talking about death enough, eventually I will die and would have just talked about death. So. True. Okay. Well, we've got a game plan going forward. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anything else you want to say on planes? Um, the other, th- oh, I don't know if this is interesting. What's the but, deal with um, airline food? <laughs> you know, Jerry Seinfeld never said what's the deal with in any I of believe, his jokes. I believe, yeah. It's, it's just become like this thing. Yeah. Airlines that have a, a website in their, their, like their name is the website. Um, avoid those airlines. There's a, I don't, there's, we call one mean? that was vietjet.com. Is the airline. The name of the airline is vietjet.com. Dot com. And they've got vietjet.com on the tail of the airplane. Wow. I mean, that's that's a, that's a no good. That's a You don't flag. want a dot com. <laughs> you don't want a dot com on your plane. If there's one thing we've learned, it's that the, um, the Silicon Valley tech boom should not yet be trusted with your transportation. Not yet. Well, with AI, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why did I? Why did I say that, knowing, knowing that we weren't going to talk about it? <laughs> I was just like, oh, you can be, you can say maybe whatever you like. what about this? Yeah, no, that's, we're that's, not going to talk about it. It's a free, free world. You know, I haven't had a drink on this podcast in a long time because of the time zone difference. The booze, the booze. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. The what booze. are you drinking right now? 
I'm drinking a, a iced americano. Oh, but okay. um, you know, I was thinking that like when we did the podcast, I would like to have a you know, typically we would have a drink, and I would probably have you know a couple of drinks. Um, and I thought you know it kind of loosens me up, but I think it's I think it actually is better if I don't drink. Well, do you remember your? revelation when you had taken like two months off drinking or whatever and like there was that sort of golden period where you're like i'm sleeping so much better i feel alert in the mornings like and you had this sort of golden glow and then it came to a yeah. point where like yeah I went out to a party and had a drink and now it's now not sustainable <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, it's not sustainable i'm glad that you, you know? circled back on the revelation you already had previously to be clear i mean just drinking while uh while you know actually the on pod, the podcast yeah. Um, but it's nice because your it's like your evening time. It's my late morning or early afternoon. You know, I'm yeah. still on my you know my my espresso beer. Yeah, I just had a coffee before I got on because honestly I was not feeling like very switched on, and I thought, oh, I don't want to let my buddy Michael down. I better have a better have a coffee, otherwise this won't work. Well, you never have to do that. I, I'm I'm easy breezy. Although I guess it's probably better because well, one of <laughs> one of us has to have something under control, Michael. Yeah, and I'm happy to do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, how about a, a quick little bit of science news? How does that strike you? It strikes me uh, very well. <laughs> Play the jingle. It's that time. Time for science news. myself i hate the things that i say i, just, <laughs> I hate the things I hate, that i say i don't like them there's an article in big think summarizing a study in the journal of sex research a new study published in the journal of sex research shows that bisexuality being attracted to or engaging in sexual behavior with people of both sexes has tripled in the u.s over the past three decades bisexuality is generally considered an invisible sexual orientation because bisexual individuals are often in monogamous relationships so they simply appear to be the hetero or homosexual the upward trend in bisexuality in America seems set to continue as over 6% of 18 to 29 year olds, but fewer than 2% of respondents over 40 identified as bisexual in the latest data. The authors found that between 1989 and 1994, 3.1% of the 6.5,000 respondents reported having both male and female sex partners since age 18. Between 2012 and 2018, that rate had climbed to 9.3% among the 6,609 survey takers. Moreover, during the pandemic-affected 2021 survey year, 9.6% of respondents reported partners of both sexes as adults. Engaging in sexual activities with members of both sexes after age 18 is not necessarily indicative of true bisexuality, however. For example, someone who identifies as gay or lesbian might have had opposite sex partners in early adulthood before coming out later in life. Thus, the researchers checked to see if there was a corresponding increase in the proportion of Americans who actually identified as bisexual. The study began asking respondents about their sexual orientation in 2004. Between then and 2010, 1.2% of those surveyed identified as bisexual, but by 2021, the rate had nearly quadrupled, rising to 
they note that the increase in bisexuality in survey data might also stem from a rising willingness to acknowledge it. Of course, same-sex sexual activity has been heavily stigmatized in the US and around the world for the past century. Though such prejudices have lessened of late, the global closet is still vast. A 2019 study estimated that five out of six people around the world who identify as lesbian, gay, or bisexual keep their orientations hidden from all or most of the people in their lives. So anyway, I just thought uh, this was an interesting little bit of actual hard data talking about the uh, the rise of bisexuality. Is that yeah, surprising? Yeah, it is interesting. Um, no, there's a couple of things. Like, I think we are getting a clearer understanding of, like, uh, sexuality as uh, a spectrum uh, that, you know, you can be at, at various points on that spectrum um, on or of. I forgot where I started that sentence. <laughs> you can try um, all the prepositions you want, just in case. <laughs> So I get, I get the, um, I get that the, in terms of the data collected, um, it makes sense that you have more people being willing to openly acknowledge that they are, you know, on that spectrum, um, or maybe towards the middle of the, of that um, sexuality spectrum. I guess the other thing that I think about, and I, I wonder if this is the same, if this is the case with um, uh, transgenderism, that. Um, and this is not to diminish um, people in, in that community at all, um, but I, it's just a thought that I had that maybe, you know, because it's so much in the uh, cultural vernacular at the moment um, that people, um, you know, uh, I need to be careful with what I'm saying here, I guess. They 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 real because they realize that as, a, as an option, they, they kind of wonder that about themselves. Um, so they kind of, question it whereas you know stra- uh, heterosexuality is kind of given pr- pr- given to us as a kind of a default position and mm-hmm. if you're if you're not that then you're you know you have to actively identify yourself as um otherwise i wonder if you know with the rise of of um transgenderism and bisexuality and polyamory and all uh, intersexuality or whatever that because it's in the media and people are seeing it that the they're kind of almost forced to question whether they are where ordinarily they weren't like if they were just in a, you know, they grew up in a village without any internet, you know, would people, and and the village was, you know, uh, perfectly open, open and, um, you know, you know, openly, openly minded, whatever. Yeah. Had no stigma whether, you know, those people would go, Oh, I think I like men and women. It kind of maybe this is a kind of a stupid point, but that's just one thought that I had. No, I mean it's something actively mentioned here in this study as well that they they talk about the fact that there's increasing content on social media and podcasts and TV shows that have been dispelling society's overarching heteronormativity, and as you say, like having having alternatives, not alternatives in the sense that it's like a choice you can you get to make of how you're you know, sexually wired, but just in terms of not being, not having everyone crammed into a square box when there's so much variety in the world, it it sort of comes back to as well, what I was talking about last week, where like one of my journeys in life was, was finding the label that applied to me, that described the thing, right. And not having the, the, the lingo or the, the definition of gay until I was mid teens or whatever, I, I I'll never really know. I think exactly what age I started to like start looking at guys because it wasn't conceptually 
a thing yeah. that I knew could be a thing, if you know what I mean. Whereas, as you you um, accurately point out now, we're living in a world where there's gay people on TV and it's non-stigmatized and you're seeing social media posts from people in happy families who are bisexual or who are trans or whatever. It, it just helps people to know <laughs> more about the full diversity of, of life um, out there. Yeah, I guess you can you can kind of visualize it like a like a census box, and I guess on the census forms, you know, they literally do have that. Like you, initially, you'd have maybe you know straight or gay, and then now you can select other, or now you can select yeah. you know different different types of sexualities that appear to you in your day to day life um, in that kind of form. Um, and I, the other thought that I had was that, like, bisexuality is, I think, like, one of the forgotten sexualities, you know, in this cultural movement um, that we're experiencing now and over the last, like, 10 years or so. That, you know, I think there is a stigma to bisexuality in the sense that some people, and myself included a few, you know, years ago, I guess, would would say, you know, bisexuality is not a thing. You're either gay or straight. Like, it's like... People will, I, I think, more quickly diminish it as like a, as like a, oh, you're a stepping you just, stone almost, yeah. Yeah, it's like you, you can't be, you can't be attracted to both. Yeah, it's interesting as well. The, um, uh, oh God, I just lost my train of thought completely. That's okay. Oh, I just had something I wanted to say. Well, you you will get it. You always get it back. I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pe- people people tend to assume that um, that uh, yeah, but sexuality is binary. I think. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of an old old school way of thinking, but yeah, I think I do think bisexuality gets kind of lost, and maybe oh, maybe that got it. I knew it. I was Sorry, just absolutely talking shit then. I was it's just fine. literally. You were just talking para- so that I could I listen and not. Paraphrasing what I already said, Nick, I, just to help I you out, buddy. Love that you did that for me. Thank you. Oh, fuck. Oh. I've forgotten it again. <laughs> oh, my God. No, that was a joke. That was just a great bit that I just did. Um, I can't keep doing this. <laughs> say it again. <laughs> so, um, my friend uh, is bisexual and she has had female partners in the past and married a guy. And her dad had always been like, oh, it's just sort of a phase that you're going through, right? The old, oh, it's just a phase. Yeah, everyone, you know, goes through that phase of hooking up with your same sex. And she's like, she'll got, never live it. questions for dad. She'll never live it down that she yeah. found the, um, you know, the, the life partner who was an opposite sex to her. Because so it just like so, so frustrating when you've done all this work to like <laughs> define bisexuality to someone only to then end up marrying a guy anyway you're like Ugh. yeah now you have every, your whole family saying told you so told you so oh. told you <laughs> yeah so um i i did find that sort of sadly funny here's another interesting um uh, stat the um in an interview with the bbc a new york city-based clinical psychologist noted that of her clients of her 65 clients 10 to 12 rethought their sexuality during the global reset of the COVID pandemic. The abrupt shock and isolation and reorientation of people's lives precipitated some time, I guess, for some people to really think about themselves. That's an interesting Mm. side effect of the vaccines. Yeah, maybe fewer options uh, cause you to 
cast a wider net during <laughs> yeah. COVID. Well, that's when they started turning five could be on gay. as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's uh, uh, quite a common um, what was trend, I suppose, in gay porn that a lot of the actors in gay porn are often straight and they just, you know, gay for pay effectively and mm-hmm. just do do the, the thing because it, it they get better jobs and better money appealing to gay audiences. And mm. I, I'm sure that of those actors, if you were to ask them, plenty of them would continually state like they have a girlfriend and are straight. But there is clearly some malleability on that spectrum where they're perfectly happy to hook up with guys. And I think that kind of... Um, what do you call it? Like fluidity on the spectrum. It is an additional level of bisexuality, like an extra sort of um, step along this pathway from like romanticism and, and sexual engagement, you know, between straight and gay. Yeah. That, did, Actually, that I, didn't have that sort of categorization or, or conceptualization of a separation between romantic feelings for someone of the opposite sex and sexual or lust feelings for someone. Yeah. Well, a hole's a hole. I've always said that. But porn has been, like, kind of weirdly quite progressive, like, compared to other industries. You know, in the 80s you were having, you know, interracial, you know, sex. Like, they're kind of catering to all these fetishes that do not discriminate and they're almost actively... Uh, actively not discriminating, having a, having a fetish is is kind of non discrimination by. I I, I I tied myself in a knot again. Then I, I hear what you're trying to say. Like My in order to like, porn has a whole these categories yeah. of like gay and 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 straight and bisexuality and trans and stuff that are kind of catering to all the all these fetishes that um, exist underneath. The, the culture or, or have existed underneath the culture. So I think in a weird way, porn has been ahead of society in that sense. Also, they have been f- far behind society in the treatment of, um, of <laughs> a lot of know, performers. the performers. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it, I think you're right because it's coming from a place of base urges, right? Like it's at, when, when you're looking at that material, you are doing so based on like pure animalistic interests. So in a way, it's like the most honest expression of human behavior there is. So like if like the 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 search box on Pornhub has seen the truth of humanity more than like the Google search box ever has, you know, totally. Yeah. Um, uh, What was I going to say as well? Should have had another coffee. Yeah, I am. I had another point there. Yeah, Porn, jizz, right. farts, dicks. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, do you think you're on the spec? That's probably way too personal to us. But do you, I, I've wondered. I've wondered how if you know if sexuality is a spectrum that like it, it is interesting to try and place yourself on it. And then you know I think despite despite the way I walk and, you know, the things that my dad posts on Facebook about me, uh, I think I am quite, you know, straight. Comfortably straight, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there, there is like a, I don't know, there have been times, and I'm not saying that it's, you know, a plight that I've had to suffer at all, <laughs> but like kind of in terms of conversations with certain types of people, you know, almost defend my straightness and just be like pe- people saying you know it's okay if you like want to kiss a guy i'm like well, but I, I don't 
thank you but you know like I, i'm i'm all right yeah yeah and i think that person was you actually i, I did pressure you quite a lot to do things you didn't want to do <laughs> predator <laughs> no i I'm, i think these days um the good thing is that society as a whole has become well western society in certain places <laughs> has become a lot more accepting of that kind of thing which is great which has allowed people who perhaps in previous generations wouldn't have wanted to explore anything that they might have been feeling even if it was just a momentary you know consideration or urge out of fear for what that might mean for themselves and for their you know straight presenting image and that kind of stuff um so i think that it is uh, we've been talking about here the rise in bisexuality i think a lot of that as you say, has come about in response to the acceptance and the, the presentation of, of media out there that makes it more um, tenable. But mm. I think it has also then allowed people who have, like gay people or, or bi people who are interested in straight people to be more upfront about their interest in someone which is good because in order to meet someone you have to ask them out but it now puts straight people in a position they've never been in before which is being hit on by someone that's not the target of their sexual yeah. interest back the other way so straight guys are having to work out now like accepting straight guys that now having to work out how to be how to be accepting of being hit on by a guy right and what to say in that yeah. situation how to take that as a compliment and not be weird about it and let the guy down gently you know it's a um it's a, a new skill set that straight guys are having to learn yeah we are but you know we're, we're managing um and uh, i think you know if uh, i think i think we'll be fine yeah the war on straights continues but you're not giving in no <laughs> I'm an ally. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this podcast, that's very nice of you. And thank you for all the kind words you might have sent in last week. If you'd like to tell others to listen to it, then you've got plenty of options. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. You can send a link to the podcast. Um, I'm sure that will make it easy for them. You can send an email to deepfort at gmail.com. You can interact with us on Instagram, send a message, send an email, send a question, send a comment. And uh, we'd love to have your positive review immortalized for eternity on the platform of your choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts or other. Leave us a nice old five stars and review and we'll make sure that everyone knows about it. Two things that have come up in the past week. Some myths. I need to get them off my chest, Michael. Let's, mm -hmm. let's play the jingle. I had to remind myself after saying that that there was a jingle just to because I doubted myself. But it's a great jingle. It's a great jingle, Nick. It's um, a great jingle. Okay. Myth one. Witnessed this just a week ago. Myth one. Getting to the front of a queue without knowing your order. If you are standing at a coffee bar and you've been waiting there for five minutes for the barista to make everyone's orders, you, you're shuffling in front of the cafe cabinet 
and then you get up to the front and you're at the till finally and you stand there and you go, huh, now what is it that I want? And you look at the menu in front of you and you spend another sort of two fucking minutes deciding, fuck off, don't join the queue. The rest of us have shit to do. That is a certified mega myth. That is mega couldn't couldn't be more on the same page. This is that's unacceptable behavior. We live in a society. We live in, as the Joker said, we live in a society, and you people need to doing... people need to accept this. It is it is uh, it's um, disrespectful behavior. It's so disrespectful. You have so much time. Get off your phone. Look at the menu. Have it ready to go. Yeah, I I I try to imagine every. I try to um, I try to uh, anticipate every kind of ordering uh, uh, experience that I have as yeah. as if as if it's the soup Nazi from Seinfeld. <laughs> I imagine that they the 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 attendant is just going to be like like annoyed if I'm not like bang bang bang. Yeah. So I I have it all ready to go. Here's a hot take for you. Don't walk in the fucking building if you don't know what you're going to have. Look mm. it up on the menu on the website beforehand. You should know yep. what you want before you're going into the restaurant. Well, okay, maybe not restaurant. Going into a cafe, going into a deli. You should know what it is you're trying to get before you walk in the door. That's my hot take. I, I mean, I love it. Um, I would do that and I do do that. Um, do do. Um, <laughs> um, but, like, I, I think if you can't do that and I, you know, it, that's fine, but stand at the back at the of back. the restaurant. Find find a dark corner and yeah. look at it. Take a photo on your phone, maybe, yeah. and then zoom it on yep, your phone. Yep, yep. Go up to someone corner. sat at a table and ask them what they're having. You know, yeah. like take some fucking initiative, please. Yeah, <sighs> no, I I totally agree with that. Ask Myth. them if you can try. It's like if you if you're not sure about the French fries, say, so can I have a French? Can Bring I have your own fry, straw. Please? And just pop it in every drink as you go down the, the aisle of tables and have a little sip and work it out. Work it out. Work it out. Work it out. It's it's the only polite thing to do it's in that polite. situation. No, it couldn't be more with you on that one, Nick. Okay. Great myth. Thank you. Myth number From two. the myth master himself. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time I've been called myth master, but I'm okay with it. Um, okay. Myth two. Slightly smaller scale here. And it would require perhaps a little bit of like visual accompaniment. Picture you've poured yourself an icy cold glass of the best beverage, you know, say it with me, sarsaparilla. You've okay. poured yourself an icy, clo- Psychotic, icy cold glass of the best beverage, sarsaparilla. Snowdrop, snowdrop. Snowdrop. Any, yeah, of, any of the classics, right? It's in a, it's in a glass... And you carried it with you. It's got a, a couple of ice cubes in there, keeping it cool. Carried it with you. You've gone into another room and you've sat it down on a coaster. Uh-oh. You know what really grinds my gears, Michael? It's when you I pick do. up that cup and the coaster goes the with coaster's it. coaster's attached. Then... 100%. What are we doing? Cancel coasters. Hashtag cancel coasters. <laughs> like, you know, people have been talking about cancel coaster for years now. And I'm finally <laughs> seeing the truth of <laughs> of how this is affecting society you, you know we oh, shouldn't yeah. have allowed this to happen no i i i've uh, there okay so maybe the ha- can- hashtag cancel coasters cancel coaster is um 
uh, maybe too broad because there, are, as we know, Nick, there are many types of coasters. Um, there is you've got a ceramic coaster. Yep. Yeah. Um, you have a glass coaster. Yep. Uh, you have a cardboard coaster, which yep. is, I think, what we're zeroing, zeroing in on here, a cardboard coaster. I'm actually zeroing in on ceramic, I have to say, because a cardboard dropping doesn't doesn't clink, doesn't noise. Okay. It's all right. But, like, but when it's like an actual, you know, like a hard tile. Sure. Yeah. But, I mean, it's less likely to... Um, to 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 rise with the uh, the condensation. It's true, but it's still shockingly frequent. I encounter it probably <laughs> weekly. Shockingly, um, is it that particular coaster? I'm speaking about like it's happened to this one here. Name and shame. Docks that coaster. That's a Maxwell Williams, and frankly, oh. should go in the bin. This one here, also a Maxwell Williams. <laughs> funnily, funnily okay, enough. so, okay, so two, it's, it's more. We might have a identified brand. a trend. Um. Yeah, I, I, I love a I love a bamboo coaster. Oh, okay. Um, uh, or you know, a, a little dolly. You know, like a like a a, co- a cloth kind of uh, oh, texture dolly. A doily you know? or a dolly? I don't, uh, maybe a doily. Okay. I've I've said that word like eight times in my entire life. Okay. Um, How did it feel today? I'm not confident. I'm not confident. <laughs> Clearly. Okay. Um, yeah. There was a, there was an unsettled pause. Um. The, the kind of frilly thing, you know, like that you, you get it. Yeah. But I, I guess it. then be, because it's cloth, uh, you can you get seepage. Yeah. Mm. yeah it's so it's tricky, not really doing the job. Tricky problem. I just raw dog it, Nick. I've got, you as you do. can see here, I don't, well, I don't you've use wrapped, a You've wrapped a um, uh, uh, serviette around it for grip, but that's not going to, well, does that stop condensation hitting no. the bottom? No. Not at all. Not at all. Um, but it's it's more like a um, it's more like a, a sweat towel mm, okay. um, that you might use at the gym. It's not going to stop you sweating, but no. you know it's going to. It's a politeness for the people bit. around you. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, I just raw dog it now. Mm. I, I I've, I've stopped using Can coasters stop um, for it like this that. exact reason. Yeah. What's that? Can you stop saying raw, raw dog it? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I, I literally cannot think of another word to use. <laughs> we don't have the language. It's just what it is. Yeah. Uh, I'm raw dogging my job. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, that was my um, myths this week, Michael. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're great myths. Thank they're you. great myths. I uh, agreed with both of them. Um, I have a segment here, but we're sort of pushing on a little bit. So maybe I'll save it for next week. And uh, okay. you tell me your story. All right. How long have we been going for, by the way? One hour 23. This... Oh, that's nice. All right. Um, well, this is like, I'm not sure if this is necessarily, oh, no, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you a trailer for this story. <laughs> you know um, what? Here's, you. here's a mini myth. Here's mini myth three. When you're watching a trailer on YouTube and there's a five seconds of the trailer cut together at the start of the trailer. What is that? It then says, what watch the trailer. Is what is the that? The trailer of the trailer. The trailer trailer. I don't know. <sighs> mini what, myth. Why are but seriously, what is that? I assume it's because in some ads, in some kind of context, they'll throw it up knowing that someone's about to hit skip. And so they're trying to catch your attention in the five seconds before it's automatically forward in, onto the next you know, thing you actually want to watch. I hate What a world. place we've got to. I hate it. All right. Speaking of hating the world, I... So as you, I've, I think I've said on um, one of the last apps, we're in Thailand right now. Uh, and weed, strangely, is uh, legal mm. or has been recently legal. There's a couple of, there's many 
weird rules in this country. Um, so weed is now completely legal. Um, vaping is strictly prohibited because I just found this out um, a couple of days ago. The reason why vaping is illegal in Thailand is because the monarchy here, the the kingdom, the palace, whatever, has their uh, controls uh, all of the tobacco uh, oh. in in the country. So they have a monopoly over um, <laughs> tobacco manufacturing and distribution in this country so they have banned vapes not for health reasons uh although they are saying health reasons they've banned them but because it affects reasons. their profits <laughs> yeah. which is very funny and you can you know you know i don't know how many people are getting arrested for vaping but it's possible the one of the other weird rules uh that we've discovered here not uh the hard way thankfully is that um you have to wear underwear um, in public, uh, and that includes bras for women. So if you, uh, oh. you look like you're not wearing a bra, um, theoretically you can get arrested for that as well. Anyway, all that is... Uh, Preamble. Not Well, it's not even connected really. Um, so weed <laughs> is legal here. And, um, you know, Lauren and I, we're not, we're not, we're not really stoners. You know, I smoked a little, you know, weed here and there when I was younger, but, you know, the older I get, weed just kind of freaks me out. Um, it freaks you, you out? Know, well, I just get, like, anxious. Uh, it's too much. Like, right. it just... It, it As in the effect these... you have when on weed is being freaked out. Or you get freaked out about the yeah. idea of it before you've had some. No, no, no. I get, I get kind of freaked out and anxious on when, it. I've, yeah. when I've smoking it. Yeah, um, right. Smoke it. I just said smoking. <laughs> when I've smoking it, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not on it now. Um, so anyway, where we were in in uh, Patea, uh last week, we yeah, there, there's a lot, there's many weed shops around, and it's it's not just joints; it's like brownies and gummies, gummies and, and all yeah. this stuff. And so we thought, you know, it's completely legal here. Maybe we should maybe we should have a gummy. Yeah. Um, and. Maybe that would be fun. And we, you know, I don't know, we're by the beach, you know, it's, we're you know, pretty relaxed. Yeah. You know, what, what could go wrong? So I, I went into the you know, one store that looked, you know, legitimate. It had like a nice shop front, whatever. Um, and I see they've got like a fridge full of all these gummies and um, uh, they're, they're kind of packaged in, in you know, the, the candy trolley? No. I'll show you. So this is the this is the actual packet oh, right here. Yeah. Right. So I uh, I say, oh, how how much uh, how much are these ones? Are these good? Um, so these are trolley peachos, peachios, and uh, the guy there, very very cool looking guy, but like not a not a sketchy looking guy. Just you know, spoke a nice cool English looking and, guy. Yeah, he was like kind of, kind of cool, but like well, what like presented wearing? well, like a button up shirt he kind of looks like, like a he polo. Was, like kind of maybe it was like like going to the office but he's wearing like some air jordans or whatever wow um and he's like yeah these are these are really good like uh, do, do you smoke a lot and i was like no no, no I, don't, I don't don't smoke at all and he was like all right uh well maybe just just try two two of these gummies first and i go two okay um and he was like what are your what are your plans and i was like well i think me and my girlfriend you know, just got to take one and, you know, just order some takeout and maybe sit by the beach or whatever. And he's like, oh, you're going to do it with your girlfriend. Maybe, 
maybe just get her to take one. And I was okay. like, okay. Just told you that I don't smoke weed. Yeah. She told me to take two, but girlfriend has a smoke, uh, doesn't smoke either. You know, body size, you know. I guess so. Mass, yeah. So, um, so we hang on to these for a few days. You know, I think we we're both a little bit anxious about it. And, um, and then one night we we're like, all right, well, we've got nothing on this evening. We'll just, we'll just stay in, take a gummy and, uh, and see what happens. So we take half of one. Yeah. I think that's a good each. call. Yeah. Yeah. Take half of one each. And, and on the packet, it says, um, it 90 minute activation. So we go, okay, we'll take half a gummy each and we'll go to the shops, get some like, get some like little treats and stuff, fun yeah. things, whatever from the Seven Eleven. do that. Order some, we order KFC. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but we ordered KFC and it was terrible. Ate the KFC. It was fun. You know, we're having a silly goosey time. Gets to about uh, 90 minutes and we're like, we do not feel anything at all. Mm-hmm. So we're like, should we take another half? And then we 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 acknowledge the fact that this is a classic scenario. Yeah. Where people take a half, they don't feel anything. And so we're doing like bits. We're almost like taunting the idea because yeah. we're like, oh, yeah, we, we, we've Imagine only taken half. Imagine if we did too much. Yeah. We're kind of, we're kind of like as if it was like some spirit that we're going, you know, <laughs> can't catch us. Oh, you think yeah. we're fucking soft? Yeah, sticking a finger into the crocodile cage. Yeah. Exactly. So, of course, we take another half. Of course. Right? Each. And then each. So now we've taken one each. Uh-huh. Now, a reminder that the guy told me to take a two. two. So about half an hour after we take the second one, you know, we're, uh, I don't know what we're doing. I think we're actually trying to get some work done. Like we're trying to like, <laughs> we're, we're trying to book some uh, like Airbnbs or do some trip planning and things like that. Yeah, right. And um, but that just kind of speaks to how little we were feeling at that point. And then, you know, Lauren's saying, oh, I think my, my tongue starts to feel a bit bigger, which is like maybe a sign. And I'm like, yeah, I still don't feel anything. Anyway, half an hour goes by. And it starts to be like, okay, this is maybe a little stronger than we thought. And maybe we, we messed up with the, the double dosing ourselves here. Yeah. And half an hour goes by and an hour goes by. And by the way, we're not really like vo- verbalizing this to each other. We're just kind of on the bed individually, gradually freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> and then gets to a point, we, none of us wants to admit that we're like, you know, Not we've taken one time. gummy and yeah. we're, you know, <laughs> how lame are we? Um, and, you know, we eventually just like, are you, uh, are you okay? Cause I'm not okay. And it was, it was from there on in for the next like four or five hours, just a horrendous, <laughs> like <laughs> cascading of anxiety and dark thoughts and, you know, <laughs> Oh, no. Lauren thought that I was going to jump off the balcony at one point, even though I was just lying in bed, and we were both, we were both just like kind of curled up on the bed, just like try, like in the fetal position, just shaking. You know, oh, no. It, 
were like aware of the fact that like it's it was kind of funny at least i was trying to like remember that make it aspect, funny like yeah. say you know this is like really funny that we're we're so in out we, i've never felt more in my 30s yeah. you know if i I, <laughs> I take one gummy to try like to try and be uh like to chill try and be like and cool and yeah. you know whatever this is what you know this is what people do and i'm just like no nah, not for me too anxious um and you know <laughs> by the way we're we're staying in like basically paradise like yeah Beach, we've got beautiful vista. views of the ocean yeah. everything should be fine and our hotel like our airbnb is just like it's very comfortable so we were lucky that we had that yeah we had like nice clean bed whatever but it was like it was horrendous it was it was so like uh it was just like all it's like all of the worries and I, I knew that i had this i knew i knew this about myself with weed which is kind of why i avoided it that it would just kind of bring all these all these like kind of worries that in everyday life, you kind of push just to your subconscious. Yeah. They just come. They just they have the keys. They have the keys to the <laughs> hospital. Yeah. Um. And um. And just running a muck, and we're just trying to ride it out. And um. We we're trying to pick. We're trying to pick a movie to watch, like something that would just try and soothe us. Yeah. You know, something that was maybe familiar, but like surely, not too scary. Surely, your go-to was like a nice Edinburgh, right? Like something like. Animal life, you know, frogs, well, ocean. I will say that we previously had put on Gone Girl and just had it in the background. <laughs> the most, and, like, psychologically um, unsettling film. Yeah, so so unsettling. And mind you, like I mentioned earlier, that Lauren's been kind of swimming in all of these true crime podcasts, true yeah. crime investigations yeah. and stuff. It's all coming to the surface for her. And like even just Ben Affleck and uh, whatever the girl's name is, woman's name is, yeah, on on the screen with the kind of Trent Reznor score is just like this is way too much. So we we're like let's watch a Pixar movie and yeah, the w- one of the only ones that came up on Netflix in Thailand was uh, the Secret Life of Pets, um, which I think Pixar. has Louis C.K. in yeah. it. Um, and we just could not follow it. We're like we were both watching this movie and we had no idea what was going on. <laughs> it was unbe- it was unbelievable. Like, and then, so here's the kicker. So we waited out. We eventually fall asleep. We wake up the next morning. We're like, Ooh, glad that's over. I go to look at the packet, right? And we try to work out. So this is a trolley packet here. Yeah. Um, uh, clearly it's, it's, even though weed is legal, this has clearly been... Trolley doesn't make no, this edible is, yeah. gummies. The store has made so this, yeah. This is... Even though it's professionally packaged, this is this is underground kind of uh, yeah. moonshine. Yeah. Um, so um, we, we look up what the standard dose is of a, of a gummy because we hadn't taken a gummy before really yeah. ever. So in America, a standard dose would be 10 milligrams um for someone who does do gummies yeah and then they recommend that if you haven't if you don't really smoke weed do five milligrams yeah so i look at this packet uh-huh and it's 25 milligrams per piece oh we took we took five, five times, times more than you would. the dose yeah that you would for a beginning uh, person doing gummies oh so we went from feeling like a bit ashamed of ourselves and like kind of lame to thinking well we just took a huge dose of THC yeah, and survived. Yeah, you know, yeah, we've had a panic attack, but you know, whatever. So what you're saying is you had a 
real world trolley problem. Yes! 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 Fucking well done. crushed it! Crushed it! <laughs> crushed it! Fucking yes! <laughs> yeah. Yes! Oh, that was... That was intense. That was brilliant. What's Casey going to think that you were doing? <laughs> I need to go explain. 